Welcome to STEM Lab, where we discuss preparing students for success in a rapidly changing world. And here's your host, Michael Newsom. Happy to have you here with us today on STEM Lab. Today, our guest is Dr. Matt Irvin. He is a full professor of educational psychology and research at the University of South Carolina. He is the director of two different centers at the university. First, the Vaughn and Schuler Moore Child Development Research Center, and second, the Institute for Rural Education and Development. This institute focuses on STEM education in the rural areas of South Carolina. Okay, let's get right to the interview. Well, Dr. Irvin, you have a PhD in education and you're a full professor of education psychology and research at the University of South Carolina. You're the director of a couple of centers and you have a lot of research experience in fields like rural education and rural STEM education in particular. And so you've also worked in workforce development and I noticed that you've done some things with the knowledge economy. If you could do one thing to improve educational outcomes and workforce preparedness for rural youth, what would that be? I think providing authentic experiences that really engage kids in workforce um, opportunities, industry, um, especially around many of the opportunities we have here in South Carolina in STEM and advanced manufacturing in particular is a really uh, growing area in our state. Big investments, more coming. Um, that involves a lot of things from things like um, electric vehicles with Scout coming, um, uh, cybersecurity, um, artificial intelligence, uh, creation of uh, advanced materials. So there's a lot of great uh, opportunity here for kids and to really show them um, what they're learning has some application in the real world and for future work, uh, workforce opportunities. And ideally in their local area and region, that's a big issue for rural areas, um, trying to keep kids and have them stay there and be a contributing member to continue the the uh, local rural context and community um, so they don't just go away to college and not come back. Um, they need to be you know, have those experiences so they can be aware of what's available locally because there's a lot of opportunity here that uh, many kids, educators, and others don't even know about and realize. So, Dr. Urban, what is it that distinguishes rural STEM education from just rural education? Are there any particular research methodologies involved? Well, obviously, the more specific focus on, you know, the STEM areas. Um, ideally, um, there are connections to others. Uh, for example, literacy is a critical early skill um, that obviously affects the ability to learn in, this, learn in the STEM fields later on. Um, but it has the unique focus, um, particularly around scientific, you know, areas of study, scientific uh, or jobs that use scientific um, approaches, methods, findings um, broadly, um, you know, and use those to design things, obviously with the engineering piece, um, build technology, use technology. And it really has wide applications um, so many jobs that many of us, I mean, including myself, are still learning about um, the official recognized list of STEM jobs um, from the federal government is 16 pages long of STEM jobs. So there's so much, you know, that I'm still learning about that's great uh, opportunities for kids. So Dr. Urban, a few decades ago, I was a high school kid in, in West Virginia, and uh, we had a, a teacher shortage for a while. 
And so I know the governor had declared that anyone with a master's degree in a particular discipline would be allowed to teach. I had great engineering, math, and, and physics instructors. So I think the teacher shortage at that time was very important. What would you say are the three biggest issues facing STEM education in rural areas today? I think it does continue to be um, having having high quality high quality teachers, being able to get teachers. Um, once they do find them, being able to retain them is another big issue, especially in rural areas um, and other high need schools in the areas. Um, often, you know, the the strongest teachers end up going to the districts, you know, that pay more, um, have more resources. Um, so again, being able to retain them. And I think the third issue is really being able to provide, especially in rural STEM education, professional development opportunities tailored to them, to the rural context, making it applicable. Um, so much of what's been developed around STEM education has been done in, in urban contexts. So it may not work so well um, in these unique rural contexts that maybe only have one you know, science teacher for the entire middle school, for example. Um, you know, and where they feel a sense of isolation, don't have the professional support and camaraderie, um, being able to, to build that in other ways, like virtual professional learning communities, um, and through professional development that, that we try and provide through the university and some of our work. Now, Matt, you are the director of two different centers. And one of those centers, I know you have a grant to train postdocs to look at statistical analysis of education in rural areas. Uh, I believe uh, it's called the Immerse Project. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, we're fortunate to have funding from the National Science Foundation for our Immerse uh, Postdoctoral Research Fellowship, um, which is really trying to recruit um, people, uh, you know, recent graduates of doctoral programs with interests in rural STEM education um, and experience in it to support them to provide um, training in more advanced research methods um, that can really um, let them do and help sort of increase ultimately the capacity of the field to do really high quality, um, informative rural STEM education research that can be useful for policymakers, um, others trying to develop programs. So, uh, but that's the main focus of it. Well, yes, of course, I am a PhD in economics myself, did a lot of statistical techniques. It seems like a lot of the things that I was trained on back in the 90s uh, seem ancient now. Statistics has moved on just so quickly. Yeah, it does. I mean, it ra so rapidly um, has been evolving. Um, yeah, machine learning, you know, coming on uh, recently, really, really a big area of interest and use. Colleagues of mine are starting to do work on that. Um, yeah, and like you said, the sophistication of our measurement and analytic techniques, structural equation modeling, like transition analysis, some really other um, sort of cutting edge approaches that, um, like you said, really have been just exponentially growing the past decade or so. So let me ask you a question about different ways we might be able to improve rural STEM education. Here at the South Carolina Governor's School for Science and Mathematics, we have a program called Accelerate. This is a virtual engineering certificate program, and we teach it to high school partners across the state. So students will stay at their home high school, and they will get to complete that 
certificate over a three-year period, taking classes during part of their day. Do you see virtual education as a, an important element of improving the access to STEM education in rural areas? Absolutely. Um, and it has actually for some time. Um, some of our work early on when I was at the University of North Carolina and the first National Research Center of Rural Education, we focused on online learning. Um, I was director of an online learning project because a lot of rural schools have for some time used online learning. They've actually been at the forefront of that because of some of these teacher shortages. They may not be able to provide advanced mathematics or advanced science classes So because they don't have the teacher um, there who could do that. So they'll use online learning as a way to provide those advanced enrichment uh, courses for their students when they don't have a lot of uh, numbers of students who would be taking them um, and don't have, again, the teaching uh, capacity to offer it. So as a researcher in education, what have you found to be the difference, or what is the literature saying is the difference in virtual education and in-person education in terms of outcomes and, and pedagogy? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, by and large, um, the research has largely shown that um, outcomes are pretty equivalent between virtual and face-to-face -face education as long as the kids complete the course there's usually a higher dropout rate in online courses um, and that was part of our work you know we believe it's because of that uh, lack of a personal connection lack of a you know person there really being able to support them in more real time if you will recognize when they're struggling um, you know probe for deeper thinking and so forth. So that is a big issue, um, much higher dropout rates in online courses, but when they complete it, seems to be that the evidence shows they have equivalent learning outcomes. So as I mentioned at the Governor's School, we do have a, a large virtual program, but we also have a large outreach program. We have camps during the school year and also in the summer across the state. We have many different students, reach a few thousand students, in fact. So how important are camps like that, those experiences, particularly at the younger ages, when it comes to building interest in STEM and increasing the likelihood that students will engage in those sorts of activities? So I think the literature shows there's actually some really um, powerful effects. I, and I would say, honestly, it surprised me a bit when I looked into some of that, um, that it has a much stronger impact than I would have, have possibly thought. So I think it's really a great way to engage kids in um, STEM activities that they wouldn't have been able to have otherwise, um, can really um, target their interests. You know, you're not, you're not worried about trying to meet uh, state testing standards, for example. Um, so it sort of gives you the flexibility to really dive in these uh, areas and topics that are very engaging for kids. Um, I know some, you know, doing work and we're working with some colleagues across the country doing uh, rural robotics um, that usually often starts as an after-school program. Um, another colleague doing work on drones um, does that usually as a summer camp. So there's a lot of opportunity for kids to really sort of get in there, do very hands-on activities, you know, that and more so than they'd be able to do so in a traditional or formal classroom setting often. Yes, I have a couple of young children, and uh, they do 
participate in camps in the summer, and there are just so many camps available now. I know those camps can be expensive, and I've also noticed that in some cases, there is an integration with private industry and with some of the public elements. What are you finding about that integration here in South Carolina with how industry is working with the public schools or with uh, other even private institutions in order to increase uh, STEM education? That's a great question as well. Um, yeah, I'm definitely aware of some integration. I think we could we could definitely do a lot more, like in terms of officially public-private partnerships. Uh, really, I mean, myself really have been trying to think through what that might look like. Um, have been exploring um, a couple. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity along those lines, and. I mean, we have so many resources here for that sort of work, um, you know, with obviously Boeing, you know, down by the coast, Goodyear uh, up in that Greenville area. Um, and, and I know uh, Goodyear, for example, Michelin, I'm sorry, it's Michelin. Um, they already do a lot of outreach. So I think there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and, and, and some of the reach, outreach that I'm hearing um, yeah, is really impressive, to be honest with you. Um, there definitely could be more and you know we need to learn i'm in a part of nsf grant another project right now we're really trying to teach educators and and career development facilitators and school counselors and schools to work together to identify those opportunities and to bring them into the school to help them develop these authentic um, experiences stem experiences for kids so try and identify those community assets and partnerships and leverage them. Now, talking about industry in particular and workforce development, do you see that students these days are becoming less interested in going to college? Are we still seeing college as that necessary element? You do read some about that starting to shift, that starting to change. What what have you found out? I say I don't have any great data that I'm aware of on this, but um, I think in general, uh, kids are more and more questioning the value of the traditional, you know, four-year degree. Um, you know, there there's a lot of great even STEM opportunities with, with associate's degrees. There's a lot of STEM technician jobs um, that, you know, pay really well. Um, and even just with some certifications. I mean, drone pilots, for example, you know, subfield or robotics um, can make really, really good money with just having their drone certification um, that doesn't require a college degree. So lots of great opportunities out there um, for them, I think. Yes, I've been thinking for a couple of decades now that we were right on the cusp of a change in higher education, the way it's offered, the way people think about it. Now, you've been at the University of South Carolina since 2011, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Can you tell me, what are you most proud of uh, during your time at the University of South Carolina? Really working and establishing some research collaborations with colleagues here and with many school districts across the area and region um, to really understand, provide professional development and support to a lot of uh, STEM teachers and educators. Um, then in turn have a large impact, you know, potentially on a, on a substantial number of students. Um, our most recent NSF uh, grant project, we had 11 teams of a STEM educator and an educator in another field 
and a school counselor, career development facilitator here providing training. We're going to continue providing um, coursework on, on using local STEM assets as part of project-based learning um, this year. So we're paying for them to take these three courses to gain expertise in project-based learning. Um, you know, going to provide coaching for them the following year as they implement these in their classroom. And just this first cohort alone, we were estimating as potentially the uh, impact on 1,500 kids. And we're doing that the next three years with three groups. So, you know, just the, when I sit back and think of some of these projects that we've had and another one that worked with 20 uh, rural STEM teachers, um, the numbers of kids we've potentially um, impacted and, and hopefully improved instruction for them and their, you know, perceptions of STEM education um, is, I think, really important and, and proud of that work. Yes, that's a wonderful thing about our profession is that we're able to make a difference in students' lives and also help our states, in fact. Do you have any advice that you would give to STEM teachers and administrators? I think keep aware of trends and opportunities out there. Um, you know, things are rapidly changing. Um, you know, I've heard this before, and I think on one of your previous podcasts, one of the people said about don't be afraid of technology, right? But also use it wisely. Um, you know, really it comes down to good teaching and good pedagogy. Um, but use these technologies because kids you know, need to have the experience and, and comfort with it. And obviously you're much more, you know, <laughs> inherently comfortable with it than we often are. Um, but using that, um, providing those experiences, continue to learn and grow yourself. Um, there's so much, I mean, I continue to learn after doing this work now for going on 20 years. Um, I mean, and I'm still excited to learn and develop myself. So there's always more we can do to improve our knowledge, our practice, and our skill set. Well, thank you, Dr. Irvin, for being on the show today. I truly appreciate your time. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me and uh, appreciate it. It is so wonderful having great researchers like Dr. Matt Irvin on the show. And those are exactly the kind of guests that we want to bring. We want to make sure that we help add to the discussion improve the discourse on STEM education. If you have any ideas about the types of guests that we should bring or topics we should cover, please feel happy to reach out. I'd be very happy to hear from you. And remember, until next time, keep learning and growing. You have been listening to STEM Lab, produced in the studios of the South Carolina Governor's School for Science and Mathematics.